everyone welcome back to another episode of the just checking in podcast this podcast as always is brought to you by vent a place where everyone but especially men and boys can open up about their mental health issues break down stigmas and start much needed conversations i am your host freddie cocker each pod i check in with a very special guest we have a natter and a chat about all things mental health as well as anything and everything else they are passionate about if it helps that person with their mental health we discuss it My special guest for this episode is my neighbour, a North East London resident and someone I went to both primary and secondary school with, but I've only just connected with in the last few months. His name is Mark Wyatt. Mark works as a fitness manager and senior personal trainer for Nuffield Health. Mark studied exercise and sports science at the University of Exeter, where he originally planned to be a teacher. However, life has a peculiar way of changing what lies in store for us. And after falling into personal training, Mark decided that it was the path he wanted to pursue full time. In this episode, we discuss Mark's journey into fitness, his transition from aspiring teacher to personal trainer, the social status and materialism that exists in some personal trainer circles, especially in North East London and Essex, the relationship between physical health and mental health, and his non-negotiable daily routine of making sure he takes 10,000 steps. When it comes to Mark's mental health journey, we initially discuss self-acceptance and the pressure he felt to live up to other people's expectations of himself before we dive into the bulk of his mental health experiences which revolve around relationships. We talk about the negative relationships he has had which have affected his mental health, the way he sought validation at times and approval from partners in the past, his social anxiety around his phone, I know we can all relate to that, and his tendency to seek cosmetic relationships which then reinforced his worldview and perception of himself. We move on to his mental health recovery, his therapy journey, finding comfort, strength and acceptance in being alone and a whole lot more. I am so glad we were able to do this pod face to face. I've definitely, definitely missed it and you can probably tell in the record because I've just got so much more energy and the pod is just infinitely better as a result. Although, you know, online pods still have their purpose and I still think I can do a pretty good job at those. But anyway, this is how my conversation with Mark Wyatt went yes yes mark wyatt welcome to the just checking in poll mate how you doing yeah, very good thank you very good love the yes yes i was practicing that when we before we started i think you nailed it got it got it bang on <laughs> had to get the brand there yeah, mate yeah. had to get the yes, brand yes. there thank you so much for coming on thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to travel down from upstairs i know it was a long journey <laughs> i know I, I cut it fine i think just got it down in time <laughs> So I do appreciate that, man. It was what, about 15 seconds? It's about that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tops. How you doing, mate? How you getting on? Yeah, no, really good. Feeling fresh. Yeah, we both cut the party last night. There was a party at the flat and we uh, we avoided it to we avoided uh, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be fresh for the podcast. So well done. And and I was hanging out my ass as well. Yeah, was, so yeah. there was no... I mean, I'm still hanging now, to be honest. I was just, <laughs> this peaks are getting old, to be honest. But I'm really intrigued and excited to see where this pod goes, mate, because there's a few things in your journey that I've not really discussed in great depth with other guests. So... Shall we just start the show? Yeah, sure. Let's go. Usually when it comes to fitness, mate, it forms a small part of my guest journey. It could be just a regular self-care tool. But because fitness is your life in so many ways, or a big part of your life, 
it's certainly your work and we're going to dedicate a whole part or whole topic in your podcast for this so tell me first how you got into fitness exercise what it gave you in your mental health and how that journey began yeah sure so that's quite obviously a big question to unpack went to university did exercise and sports science i went there with a view of becoming a teacher so i always wanted to become a PE teacher from an early age my family were all teachers my brother was a teacher that was always my goal in life to help children especially with the obesity epidemic as we know especially mm. childhood um, i really wanted to get involved in that aspect so early intervention basically. Yeah, yeah that's rather than cure so mm. prevention rather mm. than cure that's always actually been my philosophy ever since it's trying to help people to educate them and mm. to make sure they haven't got to become unhealthy we can just prevent them give them ownership yeah, exactly yeah, yeah that's yeah. the idea so that's what i wanted to do from an early age so i've always been interested in health and fitness so i did a did sports science degree came out from there was looking to become a teacher actually runs in the family doesn't it yeah, yeah exactly yeah. at the same time it was a part of me felt i was too early to become a teacher graduated when i was 20 years old so i still felt very young uh, so becoming a teacher at that age and then teaching maybe up to the 16 year olds you feel it's way, mad, isn't it? way yeah, too yeah, close yeah. but like it's you're charming. their age yeah yeah, yeah. So it's the lack of confidence at that time. I think I thought I wouldn't get the respect from okay. students. Being so so a that teacher. was an internal thing, just because of your age, but yeah. you, you would have had the, the confidence Definitely. and ability to, no, to do it. There's no like feedback from that. You don't know that's going to be the case. You just feel that. I was way too early to become a teacher at that age, hence why I went down the whole fitness and personal training route. And so yeah, it was about a year after I graduated, I became a personal trainer. And that was going to be a, a sort of a very st- short-term job before going back into teaching learn experience in fitness working with people and then go back down the teaching route later in life so yeah I've always just had a massive passion for health and fitness I think you'll find most people get involved in fitness love it themselves and they just love training they love working out and they're like well, what can I do I'll go into personal training or I'll get into sort of coaching and that's actually probably a, a fall down for many people because they do it for the wrong reasons so although I did love working out and exercising also love helping people I think that's the main thing you need to like. It wasn't a status thing as we'll probably come on yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, we unpack that a lot later, <laughs> won't we? Um, so let's talk about how you had those designs on becoming a PE teacher. So you had that dream a little bit and then you decided to do a six-week PT training course, as yeah. I'm right in saying, as a, a sort of backup option. Mm. So how did that manifest into the enjoyment side and then thinking, oh, actually, it's not just going to become a side hustle. It's going to become my main hustle. A lot of people view PT as a side hustle. Mm. Uh, and a lot of people do it now as, a, as an extra job or as a status symbol. They have a real job, so to speak, as they would say. And then they do PT on the side, maybe at weekends, in the evening. And it does look good. I think people love the appeal. It's a very glamorous job. I'm a PT. Sounds great. And that's why a lot of people get into it. I had that view as well. I thought teaching was a stable career. You mm-hmm. know, you go into a career. PT, is it stable? You know, many people will still say it's not that stable. Each week, a client could cancel on a day. Your clients go on holiday. All of a sudden, you're gone from having 20, 30 sessions a week to having 10 sessions. That's looking at your job. Your income's halved in the space of a week. I think when I got into it, I thought, you know, this is not a long-term career. I'll do it, and um, I'll see where it takes me. And then you do it year by year. You're making money. You're looking at your end-of-year earnings, mm. and it's actually a job. And you think, actually, this could go somewhere. This could be a, still a stable career. My viewpoint did change after maybe three, four years. It was going to be a career. But at the same time, I didn't like the hours massively. And I was still looking to get into teaching about three, four years in because I thought I need more of a stable job in terms of the timings. I don't want to work till eight, nine o'clock in the evening. I don't want to get up at six in the morning every day or five in the morning. You know, if I have a family, what do I do? Mm. Um, And I think that was what I was really thinking at the time. 
So a lot of yeah. long-term thinking, basically. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think yeah. anyone who knows anything about PT and uh, that lifestyle, it is early mornings. It can be early mornings, late finishes, weekend work. Although it's the most sociable job there is, it can be so unsociable when it comes to you and your rest of your, your life. Your hours and yeah. Your, yeah, your social life. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. There's a moment three to four years into your PT journey where you went for a teaching job, yeah. but you didn't get it. Yeah. Can you just tell the listeners about why that was such a big moment and sort of what happened and, and how that impacted your mental health. Yeah, so we'll talk about relationships later, which mm. is sort of a good segue. But at that time, I was seeing someone and mm. that actually was just broken up. And uh, she worked at my gym as well. We both mm. worked there. And this was the same time I was actually going for the interview. So I felt like a perfect chance, like a new start. I'm going to leave. Like I can get away from the relationship. I can get away from the job that at the time I wasn't really enjoying. So I went for this, this, uh, this interview thought I'd get it. My dad even worked at the college. You know, I was at my dad's college. Why, well, this is guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> so, Keep it in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I've definitely got this one. It's nailed. So I think in my head, I, I, was, I, was, I had a job already. So when I didn't get it, it was even more of a blow. So when I didn't get that, I thought, oh, I'm stuck. Like, you feel like you're stuck in the job you don't want to be at then because that was the way out. That it's was one of the worst feelings, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Because you can't just, you could just leave. I could just walk away. But then mm. I was ne- I'm never a person to walk away without having something else to go to. I need a job there. I can't just... Mm. It's, you live in London anyway you don't want to mm. just quit your job and did you feel like you would have let your dad down if you had done that as well was there element walk away because he worked there as well I didn't feel like I'd let him down not getting a job because I know that I'd given my all in an interview and I know sure. that I was I did my best basically they decided to recruit someone who was really a teacher at the time and this was a job okay. to become a teacher it was like a teacher training and they recruited someone who really was in that sort of defense it was a bit it was <laughs> pointless <laughs> he actually left the like, point of the application <laughs> he left after six months as well so i remember thinking why do you employ him he was way too overqualified i didn't feel like any responsibilities not getting the job okay well that's good which was yeah. a great way to look at it but at the same time i remember i remember going back to work finding out and crying outside mm. i actually sat down on the floor and started crying outside my my current workplace it just felt deflated Mm. just felt like that was that was my dream just gone and you don't know where to go from that really because you've got that whole obsession almost you're obsessing about changing career and then you're like right where do I go with this what do I do now but I I look back on that moment as you do and think well that's fantastic because I wouldn't be where I am now how long did that take to get that self-awareness of the you know the perspective you have now did that take a while to get well the thing with self-awareness is obviously you need to always be looking back and reflecting and I've always been a kind of person to reflect and to in some ways ruminate but there's a fine line between rumination in a negative way and self-reflection. Mm. Uh, and I used to always ruminate constantly. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Like, why did I do this? I sort of that bu- did you think yeah. of like the, butter- the butterfly effect? Oh, if I'd done this, then X, Y, Z could have happened as well. All yeah. the time, yeah. I think a lot of people do that. And that's how we sort of can become depressed over time. If you constantly look back in a negative way, get very depressed you look forward in a negative way become anxious they're the sort of two main mental health issues people counter these days i would constantly look back and ruminate and i think in some ways that's led me to become really good at self-reflection all you need to do is change your mindset and all of a sudden you become the most reflective person in a positive way but it takes a long time like you can't just flick a switch and become Mm. mr positive it's definitely a process Mm. we mentioned a little bit earlier but for the listeners your brother's a teacher and your parents were both teachers so when you decided to go down this route was there an apprehension of telling them? Were they completely fine with it? Did you feel a pressure to even be a teacher in the first place? I don't think it was ever a pressure to be a teacher. I felt 
I, you probably feel a pressure to go to university. Okay. And I don't we, all think, we all had that. I, mean, I don't yeah. think that's even an option, really, yeah. when you're in that family situation. I think that's just the route. And these days, I think there's more of a route to go down trade. It used to be a job for life. You become a teacher, you become a firefighter, police, whatever it is. Mm. It, Once you're how, in, you're yeah, in sort of thing. These yeah. days, people do what they like. There's so many different jobs out there. You might work in one industry for a couple of years and change. Uh, so I think I felt a, almost a pressure to find a stable career, maybe. And for me, all I knew was teaching. So mm. that was the stable career. It wasn't a t- pressure to teach. It was a pressure to find something that was going to be long-term. And that's probably why I was going down that route. To find a purpose. Yeah, yeah. to find that, yeah. Mm. Let's talk about Nuffield Health now because you're an established PT in your own right. You've been one for basically 10 years. Yeah. Can you tell me about the mark we meet here and how that fitness journey continues? Because you said to me off air that effectively you're a teacher anyway now, despite yeah. doing it in a different field. Definitely. I've always thought, well, when you're in that industry, you go in with a six-week course and you think you know a lot. And what I've discovered over time is that you you knew so little and I still know little compared to what I can know. That's the mindset I want to take That's an on. infinite growth yeah, mindset. Yeah. You have to have a yeah. growth mindset. And it's almost like you identify as a learner. So you have this this attitude where if someone even criticizes you, you can take it on as sort of kryptonite. You're like, well, that's amazing because if you criticize me and give me ways to improve, I'm going to learn mm. and I'm better at my job. And I think... I was never like that. I was always, I took criticism in a bad way. I wanted to be the best. And if I was told I was, I wasn't otherwise, I felt like I'd let myself down. Did um, that come from insecurity or? Probably, yeah. yeah. Like you, you almost want to be the best. And almost you want to be the best at an early age. You can't be the yeah. best at 20 years old. <laughs> Who can? Like at anything in life. There's a great sentence. It says that youth is wasted on the young. Almost like the opportunity of youth. Because when you're young, you don't really understand that you don't need to get things right. And you're constantly wanting to be almost like an adult you want to be in your 30s you want to have the knowledge of that but life is all about learning you have to get there and it's a process no one can teach you you can't read a book and and learn how to live effectively so what you meet today is someone who you could say i'm more skilled than i was 10 years ago i'm a better personal trainer definitely i would hope so yeah. yeah but at the same time 10 years of experience doesn't make you better in your job necessarily you have to actively practice and get better in your role you could sit around in any job and just try and soak it all in, but not actually improve. So I think the biggest shift is my mindset to learn and to grow and to better myself on a daily basis. Knowing that what I am today is amazing, but at the same time, in six months' time, I hope to be better than I am right now. And I think that's the main thing. What does training others give your mental health as well? Because you said off air, you compared teaching almost to therapy itself. Can you just explain that? Yeah, so... It's a very interesting job. For those who will be in PT will understand completely that every day your clients will come in and they're going to be in a different mindset. So you're responding to the situation. They see it as their time to relax. They've come from work. They've come from a busy life. They might have family issues. And they walk into that one hour of time and they want to train, but at the same time, they want to talk to you. They want to vent. Yeah, there he is. <laughs> <laughs> he was waiting for this. I had one, to get he? in that. I had to get yeah, that. I got in quite early as well. well done. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, They've used in that time and they see you as someone to talk to. You become friends after a while. I've mm. trained some of my clients for eight, nine years. And after a while, they become people who know you so well and you know them so well that there's no barriers to break down. You know, they walk in, they're happy to talk to you about their life. It becomes a job where you're constantly... It's a power as well, by the supporting way. It's a power. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was a big responsibility. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, and it can be challenging at times. Like I've had clients walk in who've been extremely down about elements in their life and you don't know what it is there and then and you have to support them for that journey has that got you better at learning red flags as well and stuff like that and just little um, behavioral ticks and stuff you learn how to deal with these situations but at a time you're learning on the job very difficult because i'm not a trained therapist also it's not like they're coming for a therapy session they're not sitting down opening up they're coming to train 
So if they come in and they're not in a mindset to train, I'm not going to say, do you want to go to a pub instead? I could do. Probably not the best person training way to do it. I mean, they're here now to get... Now depressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're here to get fitter. But, you see, you're trying to get them to exercise, which is challenging because they're not engaging with you. You know, you might say to them, let's do this, and they sort of look in their phone, they wander over slowly, and you do get clients like that. It's a difficult situation, but all you can do is try and support them like a therapist would. Ask some questions as much as you can do and then later down the line they might be coming back to you which i have had this and say oh thank you for the support and you know at the time i had suffered a breakup i didn't want to go into it and that's why i wasn't so great at the time but i'm in a better place now and mm. you find out these things sometimes you know four or five six weeks later but at the time all you can do is uh, support them the best you can and how do you broach that line between say if they're down and, they, yeah. and you go to them okay let's do 20 burpees for example and they go oh, i don't want to do that you know and they've got that negative thinking mm. because they're down is it a tailored approach to where one person you might be thinking actually they need that kick up the bum yeah, yeah. and they need someone to go actually no let's do it Whereas another person, if they have that same response, you might go, let's build up to it. Let's do five first and then sort of get, do you know what I mean? Do yeah, you, I know you mean. How do you broach that? The more you know your clients, the more you know how they respond to coaching styles. And it's the same with work. Same with my staff. I have the same situation there. When you work with your team, seven, eight people, they all respond differently to motivation and guidance. So you can adapt. I adapt my training sessions to how someone is on the day. You need that. It's yeah, emotional intelligence yeah, as well, by the exactly. way. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. you can even, you can do um, a bit like, you know, checking in questions. How mm. are you today? How have you slept? How have you eaten? There's so many questions you can ask someone and then see if they're like a red flag or green flag mm. or even amber. So green, you push them, you take them to a really high level. Amber, okay, you do roughly what we have planned and we can probably match last week's session. Red, we're going to have to adapt this and, and make you, or well, allow you to move, but probably not push you to your mm. maximal levels. You know, there's so many, how's your well-being? How's your mental well-being? How's that? As we went through those questions before. So it's just checking in and... Um, Good plug got, there. Yeah, I got it. Got it in. I got, got, in. I got mine in. <laughs> yeah, one, one, one all. So uh, you can have those ones lined up. Yeah. And I think that's important. It's definitely a lot of improvisation you probably have got to do as well because you might think that someone's going to come in and have that green flag mentality yeah. and actually they might be red, but you don't know until you see them because on text you might say, mm. how are you feeling today? You might even ask twice and they say fine on both occasions. You might think, oh, okay, cool, I've done that, I've done my checks. But they come in and within five minutes they might be think you might be thinking, yeah. actually, Oof, this I is know. this is different. It's true. People don't even like to talk. I've had people hobble into sessions not telling me they've got an injury, let alone their mental <laughs> That's health. a British thing. I know, thing. yeah. That's walk, a very British walking, thing. Walking down with a hobble. Like, you're right. Well, I've injured my foot. I can't walk. So we can't do any leg-based work today. I can't stand. I'm like, right, thanks for this. Could have warned me. Yeah. Like, you have got my number. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, let alone mental health. They're not even going to talk about their physical health. So, you say, it's a British thing. We've got to respond and adapt quickly in PT. It's very much every day you have an idea but you can never be set but adaptability is key in in that role i would say what's been your proudest achievement during this journey proudest yeah in terms of training clients i trained one guy about a year ago i trained for a whole year he came in to join the gym and he's blind completely blind obviously you think uh, training someone who's blind is going to be a challenge especially in a gym environment because you've got to get them using there's a lot of pitfalls when, when you're fully able to see you know yeah, i've had a few gym yeah. fails <laughs> a few near-death experiences in the gym <laughs> so yeah a lot of pressure on that but he was a great guy he was in his 20s he's from jamaica he'd come over to study for a year a massive football fan united fan uh, which was a shame so we just spent a lot of time just uh, just building rapport so obviously you're building rapport with someone and they can't see you we spent the first hour of the session and i gave him like an extra hour to sit down and talk just to try and let him understand who i was who he was and just have that open platform before we trained because i thought it was so important but it was a great experience uh, training someone for a year three times a week i trained him basically became friends and it actually that was when the lockdown happens. He was in lockdown in his university halls. 
I mean, if we thought we had ch- or anyone had challenging lockdowns, I felt for him because the students, mate, he was kids, you know yeah. all his friends left. The gym was his life. You know, he trained three times a week. He loved the gym because he couldn't do much else. So mm. you know, he's not like he can sit down and watch TV. So there's so many things he couldn't do. He can listen to things. But I felt that, like, you know, sport disappeared as well. And sport was huge for him. So he lost that and he lost his, his gym. So I remember I was voice noting him, ringing a few times during lockdown, chatting to him. We had become more friends. And we used to do our predictions for football as well. <laughs> that was so funny. We used to always predict. We still do it now. Predict the weekend games. So yeah, we built up a good friendship. So mm. I would say that's probably one of the proudest, mm. I won't say proudest achievement, but probably the best experience I've had over the last 10 years. Your mum and dad have also come to a few classes as well. Yeah. Was, that, was that a big moment? I mean, it might have felt small at the time, but that, did that feel like a big moment for you? I think it was more strange than anything. Okay. Because you know how it's roles reversed. You're constantly being taught by them. You know, they teach you their little life skills and then all of a sudden they're coming to your class. Roles reversed. And yeah. I'm there. I'm there just not telling them what to do, but giving that exercise and, and seeing them work out, which was, uh, it was fun. It was quite funny because my dad's, he's not the most coordinated person I've ever seen. And <laughs> I, hadn't, I hadn't really, that's been nice now, John. And I hadn't seen that before. So um, it was actually quite a challenge to train him. So mm. I was like, no, dad, no, do, do this, do this. Um, <laughs> Don't give so, him a, play him a PlayStation controller. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Own goals. So it was fun. They did some of the lockdown classes. I taught on Zoom as well. And that mm. was funny because I used to always do my Zoom classes. They still do now. I still do some mobility classes and they come to that and set up their cameras at home and uh, take part. So it's good fun. Like it's, I think they like to be part of my life, which they would do. And it's good that they're taking an interest. They've actually become healthier in the last sort of 10 years since I became a PT and got into fitness. Amazing. So uh, that's great as well. Let's move on to PT culture, social state. Yeah. We've talked about it a little bit. We've alluded to it a little bit already. But nowadays, Mark, as we both know, especially in our area, North East London, sort of Essex borderline, if someone says they're a PT, they're just as likely to be, you know, former TOWIE star yeah, than yeah. the average Joe who's just, or Josephine, who's kind of just taking it upon themselves and transform their life and all that sort of stuff so it's definitely a profession that can attract people from all walks of life but it can also attract the wrong type of person can you talk to you about that social status angle in relation to mental health as you say it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy i think with pt if you go on instagram social media you'll see a lot of people in shape uh, especially has that caused it do you think that's I think, the explosion? I think it's massively caused yeah. it yeah, they've think... kind of sort of intertwined them, like the, so- yeah. the social media explosion and the PT explosion Definitely. Yeah. and they're not half these people aren't even PT qualified mm. they, you can just go on your social media account change your name or change your status to personal trainer or coach online coach everyone's an online coach these days it's incredible <laughs> so, that's uh, a whole other podcast <laughs> <laughs> it's not helped the situation and people will generally look at those in shape and think they know what they're talking about which they may do but at the same time, genetics will play a huge role in how you look. Mm. It's the wrong way of fake it to yeah, you make it sort of thing. It's isn't true, it? Yeah. isn't it? They're yeah. just becoming PTs or becoming coaches, or people think they are very good coaches because they look in great shape. And so it's not really helped. Social media is great, don't get me wrong, uh, in many aspects. But at the same time, I think for fitness, it's not helped the situation. Has it accelerated say, narcissism? Potentially, yeah. And I think it's mm. accelerated insecurity mm. amongst. Uh, not just trainers, but amongst everyone. Anyone interested in fitness can just go and check out other people who are mostly likely photoshopped, good lighting, dehydrated completely, put some fake tan on, and they're looking at these That's people. That's boys or girls, by the way, yeah, especially yeah, in our area. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you can just compare yourself. Comparison is the thief of joy. It's mm. a great one. Not my quote, but it's mm. a quote. If you go around looking, constantly comparing yourself to other people, whether it be physically or even in your role, in your profession, which in my profession given the fact that there's so many PTs online these days, I only have to go on Instagram to see most of the fitness world there doing their work mm. and looking like they're doing a great job because it's that caption. You capture your best on social media. Highlight reel. You're not yeah. going to put on your worst stuff, are you? Which I actually try to these days. I mm. try and be a bit more authentic. 
uh, and talk about my downfalls and when I was troubled emotionally and try and mm. encourage those who are in those places at that time to feel like there's, op- there's opportunity in life. Because otherwise you're there looking online and thinking, oh, I'm not as good as that person. Mm. And it, I could look at, say, a trainer who's got more followers than me or doing a lot of work online. You think, well, they're doing well. Why, not? why can't I do that? Why am I not doing online coaching? Or why am I not making that much money off it? So I think it's a massive amount of insecurity comes from it, mm. for sure. Which, yeah. What effect do you think it's happening on young boys or, or, or young men? I wouldn't like to be growing up in this day no. and age. Uh, I don't know if I'd be alive. I don't know if I've yeah, survived yeah, it's it. Terrible. I'm pleased we didn't have phones. We did, but we had like a Nokia snake 32 in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think I had much. a BlackBerry until sixth form. It's only old. If, <laughs> I mean, well, you're, well, it's five years difference between True, us. Yeah. But I think with us, even though there's five years, isn't as bad. Like no, even someone I talked to two years younger than me, there's like almost like a bigger yeah. gap. My first phone was year seven, but it was Nokia 3210. Literally just yeah. phone, just used it to find my mum to say, pick me up. I think I had like a motor razor, like year nine, ten. Then I had like a Sony Ericsson for the, you know, the sending songs on Bluetooth. So it wasn't, there wasn't social media. Social media for me only came in on Facebook and that was like year 11. And it was only on my computer, family computer with the, with the washing basket next to it. So even, even though it happened, it still was limited. Definitely. Whereas, you know, now six year olds with iPads and every single social media yeah. app, well, I had to go on dial up to try and get on an MSN back in the day so that was <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my one but yeah so we didn't have the, the likes of you know trying to get on Instagram at a, you know just touch with a phone you're on mm. there in seconds and I think you know having WhatsApp these days you know I think children are having all these WhatsApp groups social it's bullying mm. on social media which is I was like I joked I was, I was lucky I only got bullied on Facebook yeah genuinely yeah. yeah I mean you can't escape it now I used to leave school get home and that was it you wouldn't have to talk to anyone if you didn't want to and now you can just have that constant engagement, but not in a good way. I'm sure there's many positives. There is, sure I think there are, is positives for sure. You know, the, the, the rise of fitness culture has certainly led to healthier people in yeah. some aspects. But I, I do see boys younger and younger coming into my gym. And, you know, I started going to the gym at 21. You know, when you get into it, you can say, oh, I wish I'd done it earlier. But I actually don't wish I'd done it earlier because mm. even though I was, you know, my health wasn't great in university and, and to a certain extent, secondary school, I'm glad I didn't have that sort of institutionalized, like, go gym, do this, do this. Do. I'm yeah, glad I just did whatever I wanted. But I do worry about how much younger the kids are coming into the gyms now. Definitely. Yeah, I think also you've got the issue of steroid abuse. It's like more readily available. People can take it. And because there's like body dysmorphia is huge, mm. I think, amongst... Uh, BDD, yeah, body yeah, dysmorphia. It's, it's, it's massive, ridiculous. Yeah. And I think I've had an aspect of that in my time mm. like in terms of thinking I don't look good or I could be bigger or mm. I could be leaner or those There's a sort of tiny yeah. element of it. I'd yeah. definitely probably have that at some definitely. point. You go, oh, I'm not as... You know, I'm not as big as I yeah. wanted to be. But then when it gets really bad, it's like, you know, I hear phrases like bigorexia. And, and that's probably a, some form of body dysmorphic disorder Definitely. where you've got boys who are trying to lift more and more and more. They want to be like the alphas. So then they yeah. take steroids. You know, I'm not someone who says all steroids are bad. There has to be education on it. You know, if you're a consenting adult and you want to use them in the right context, mm. then, you know, I'm not going to be like, don't do it. But kids, whoa, it's yeah. a different story, isn't it, really? I think as well, the big issue is that a lot of people that do take steroids don't own up to it. No, uh, yeah, well, go not, to any gym. Yeah, exactly. Go to any gym. Also, on uh, you say you look on social media, people posting these transformation six week pictures. It's and, bollocks, you know, it? and they've yeah. changed crazy amounts. You know, mm. I don't know how your neck is trained, changed three times the size, mm. but um, or your sure biceps have like <laughs> tripled, <laughs> tripled in size in the last <laughs> yeah. like two weeks. Yeah, but you look around. I know it's steroid abuse, but in people comment below, 
They've been, oh, no, it's natty, bro. It's natty. It's not, though. It's not natural, though, mm. is it? It's clearly you're taking something and it's not creatine. Um, so yeah, own your <laughs> shit. Yeah. I'm, that, I'm one of the biggest proponents of own, the mantra, own your shit. And if you don't own your shit, it's going to yeah. come back to bite you. It's true. I think, like, we're talking about, obviously, about men, mental health. And if you can be honest about everything, if you're taking steroids, people respect you more. It, yeah. yeah exactly. I, I would respect someone more. Yeah. If you're seeing a therapist, talk about it. And then we can actually make these a norm. We mm. can make things much more normalized. And it's a much better life for everyone out there. And I think that's, I think it's actually changing slightly. Like I do believe you're seeing a, a slight change for the positive, especially mental health. This is a big, big change in the last mm. few years, but it can come a long way. A lot of people, Mark, think about PTs as these, you know, hyper extroverted, always on kind of people, yeah. you know, very positive, happy go lucky sort of people. And that behavior forms, I guess, a lot of the time, much as their brand as it does their personality. It's their mask, isn't it? Mm. And when you were in a poor mental health state, how did that mask affect you? You know, did it affect your behaviours? Did you feel a pressure to keep it on all the time, or were you able to emotionally detach or be honest? It's one of those roles where you feel like you're acting sometimes. As you say, you put on a mask. You can be outside. You could be maybe on the phone five minutes before a session, almost having an argument, which I have done, uh, and in person actually. I've had, I've done that before. I've been with one of my ex-girlfriends. I was itchy arguing outside the gym about our relationship and I had to walk down the stairs you know I'm saying to her like I've got PT in two minutes I've got to go and we're still arguing doesn't get it solved I walk down the stairs into my session ah we're doing you right let's go mm. like that kind of thing you're mm. you're trying to buzz up or buzz yourself up and also you're trying to buzz them up I can't be going in being negative I could do but it's probably not going to be the best session for them so definitely a pressure to to give them a good session good positive experience and I've never been one to vent my own emotions in a session. I probably could do because I've got people I've trained for a long time. But at the same time, I don't really want it to. I don't want to talk about myself because I'm there to almost be the, the therapist to them. And it's like you go into a therapy session and your therapist venting to you. It would be a little bit peculiar after a while if you were like, right. You need a professional boundary. Yeah, can yeah, I sort yeah. of uh, get my money's worth here, please? Um, yeah. <laughs> I didn't come to uh, <laughs> listen to your problems. So... Uh, I think that's definitely, a, you do put on a mask. You have to pretend sometimes things are okay. Um, do you do that now? I would say less so, because even recently, when I moved in here, it's quite a stressful experience, to say the mm. least. So I was quite stressed out of that. I had my new job, so I became the fitness manager at my workplace only around about the same time. And so for those two areas, I was really engaged with work, but a lot of long hours. Coming back, trying to build things in the evening, getting little sleep, which we'll come on to later, about the importance <laughs> of sleep, and then going into sessions and I'm one of my clients said like you're, you're burning out aren't you like I can see you you're taking on too much your mind's all over the place because I wasn't focused when I'm in a session I'm there I'm, pr- I'm trying to be present my mind was racing like thinking about the cupboards I had to put up or the mirrors that weren't straight in my flat and then mm. I'm worrying about pressures of recruitment at work and mm. she's there going like I can just see you you, you know you need to be she said, she said you need to be careful you could burn out at this rate and if I was wearing a mask I don't think she would have seen that so I think I do it less so but at the same time, there's an element you're still going to have to raise yourself a little bit in a session. I can't go in sometimes. If I'm tired and I've done a 12-hour day and I've got one client to go, I can't go in and be like, I'm really tired and act tired. I'm going to try and be energised and get through mm. that and then crash. It's a balance, isn't yeah. it? But yeah. So, I don't, yeah, you don't lie, but you're going to have to raise your uh, sort of game a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk about mental health versus physical health. And yeah. we've, we've talked about it a little bit already, to be honest. So, as you are a personal trainer, Let's talk about it in depth because yeah. you know, I have an expert, basically. Mm-hmm. Well, I like to think I have an expert on the pod. First off, do you think we give equal priority to both yet or understand the balance between the two? 
I still think physical health is prioritised more than mental health. Yeah. Definitely. It's a great uh, sort of analogy I talked about on my Instagram. I said, you know, if you had injury, physical injury, go and see a physio. Physio, or you go and see a doctor. Uh, People will tell you that as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you, and also it's recognisable, which is probably a good thing half the time for, for people who have those injuries. If you suffer with your emotional state, would you go and see a, a psychotherapist? Would you try and help yourself in that respect? Some people wouldn't. Some people would. Or some people couldn't, by the way. Yeah. That's another conversation. Yeah, which, but yeah. is, which is a shame. And even if you did, would you talk about it? Some people wouldn't as well. Whereas if you're getting treatment for a broken ankle or whatever mm. it might be, you'd probably be talking about it, getting some sympathy. It's a spectrum as well, because yeah. I think people think that, or well, a lot of people access therapy at their worst so therefore they probably think if i tell people this they'll know i'm at my worst yeah definitely whereas a lot of people well i think we should be going before crisis and Mm. if we go before crisis then actually we can say well i'm feeling down i know i need to address this i want to address this before it gets worse people go oh that's good i don't think you'd get a bad reaction if you were in a crisis state but i think if we can normalize it more then if you tell people when you're accessing it before crisis state you get the positive response and you go oh actually this is not as bad as I thought. That's true. Uh, I just think most of us won't recognise it before it's too late. And then, we, as you say, when you access it at a crisis state, you don't want to talk about it because you're so low. I, when I was having therapy before and I was at my lowest, I didn't really talk about it at all. And only since then have I started to really advertise and publicise mental health on my account mm. and be open about it. I happily tell people I had therapy. Happily. And actually, it's, it's a great thing to do because when you're at your... It's not, it's not, you know, you should definitely do it when you're at your best. And you're, even if you're not getting therapy anymore, say you had therapy. Because people look at you and think, well, you're in a great place and you had therapy. I can also have therapy. So there's a good thing to be it, talking yeah, about it, at your best it, as well. It breaks down that myth of yeah. you've got it all going on. Yeah. Why would you need to do it sort of thing? Which is like the stigma in itself, definitely. isn't it? But that's also the thing about putting on a mask. If you constantly put on a mask and then you tell people you've had therapy, they've never ever seen you at your worst. Because I was a client saying to me who I trained throughout my worst on zoom during lockdown i never knew anything was going on i didn't know you were that bad because he saw my post afterwards Mm. about it and obviously i was putting on masks during the uh, during the sessions but it just shows also the importance of talking later on and Mm. if you have overcome it mention it and say what you did you know talk about your success talk about what you did to get there and it's good for you as well if you were to mention and write down the things you did when you were at a low point in your life you can reflect and look back and if you do unfortunately get back to that point you have steps in place to get out of that again you know what you did what did i do that worked was it was it reading was it journaling was it breathing meditation was it going for a walk was it the therapy or was it a mixture of everything together which we'll come on to later but Mm. yeah so i think it's good to talk but also good to just document it for yourself let's talk about the elements that make sure our physical health is in sync with our mental health so sleep is a big one talk about sleep first oh sleep's massive so (laughs) i think the issue with sleep is that Everyone sees it as a, it's quite a negative stigma around sleep. If you're busy, it's like a badge of honor. You know, I'm so, I can't sleep. I hate I'm so that, busy. Mate. Everyone loves uh, it though. All those old school yeah. sort of businessman types, you see like the execs and they go, well, actually, I survived on four hours sleep <laughs> and I created this FTSE 100 company. And it's like, is that really a healthy thing to be saying? It's amazing really, isn't it? Such a bad way to look at life. I mean, in these days we've got, let's say you've got sleep, you've got exercise, you've got nutrition, diet. Many people have forgotten about sleep, but sleep is really the most important one of the three. It's the foundation. And if you don't get enough sleep, it's going to affect your diet. It's going to affect your exercise. So there's actually studies out there now that have shown that if you don't sleep enough, let's say you're in a, ca- so you're in a calorie deficit, we're trying to lose weight. If you don't get enough sleep and you're sleep deprived, 70% of the weight you lose is from muscle tissue and not from fat. 
Wow. And there's a study that's come and shown that. And that shows that our body is in such a deprived state. It just wants to cling on. So mm. it's just cling on to the body fat. That should show you how important sleep is. So if you're not sleeping enough, there's even no point trying to modify your diet, really, if your body's not allowing you to achieve what you want to achieve. And then, you know, if you look at exercise, if we don't sleep enough, we're not going to be energized. We won't want to work out. We won't want to train. And even, even if we do train, there's studies showing that your performance levels drop significantly. So, for example, like a, a, a jump test, you can't jump as high. Your fitness levels will actually decrease uh, as well uh, during for a workout. So we're looking at that one aspect. But most amazingly, it's like bi-directional. So if you improve your sleep, your nutrition will improve. Your exercise, your performance. Sleep's the best performance drug out there. People are going there taking caffeine pre-workouts, you know. They're trying to make themselves train better, but they're not even sleeping well in the first place. So they're, mm. they're doing four hours sleep and taking a coffee, think, oh, that's going to make you train better. If you had eight hours sleep, you honestly would train so much better and you get more out of your workouts. And it's uh, the problem with sleep, we, we, I won't talk much about caffeine, but we're, not, we're in a culture where we're not sleeping enough, so we're not getting enough sleep. And then we're using this drug to help us be more alert which therefore impacts our sleep the next night because we've got caffeine still in the system, so we're not sleeping as well again. And then we think, right, now we need two coffees because one wasn't enough the day before. So now it's like a negative spiral of not getting enough sleep and then trying to stimulate ourselves to be awake the next day. And you'll see that happen so many times now um, mm. with people and people mm. talk about it, like having their six, seven coffees a day just to get them through the day. Yeah. So. You talked about this concept called the ripple effect. Can yes. you explain how that relates to mental health? So the ripple effect... The way I like to explain it is that one small step leads to other small steps, which overall leads to big changes. And I feel, we'll probably come on to this later, but with exercise, people want to change or with their, their health, they want to change everything. They want to go from zero to 100 in one day. And if they can't change it all, what's the point? Like, what's the point of trying if I can't change every aspect? Or Instance, I, yeah, instant, instant success. Or instant, instant success. Yes, yeah. Or they have this attitude, if they fail once, they failed. One bad day, there's no point starting again. I've said it before to a few of my clients, like it's like a voting system. We haven't got a win by a landslide in order to achieve. So we saw that in Brexit. You know, <laughs> don't have to get a landslide. Let's not go into that. Don't want to go into that <laughs> yeah, on this yeah. pod, but you don't have to get a landslide to get a result. But people think they need a landslide of healthy behaviors to have a lead a healthy life. But if you had 51, 52, whatever it might be, percentage of healthier days and unhealthier days, you're leading a more healthy lifestyle. And that's what you've got to cast those votes of healthy mm. behaviors over time. So you're allowed to have McDonald's and as long as you balance it out. Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, it is. I don't. I had it yesterday. <laughs> no, it's fine, actually. It's all right. You can have it, Fred. It's fine. But, <laughs> Cheers, mate. Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> make sure. Don't have it every day. But I think it's all about balance. It is balance. It's so important. I've never been one to say you can't drink, you can't do this. I don't like the idea of cheat meals. I don't really like the word cheat meal. And it's, it sounds, for me, it's not the right thing to say. Every, so what would you say? Comfort meal? It just. <laughs> well. <laughs> A day of maybe not being so focused on your diet and your nutrition. So 80% of the time, maybe you're very focused on what you eat. And on maybe a weekend day, you relax a little bit. There's less pressure. You're not putting pressure on yourself. Calling it a cheat meal makes you feel like you are doing something bad anyway. Mm. And you don't want to feel like you're doing something bad. It's the way you talk to yourself. And I think we need to realize that how we speak to ourselves is so important because we're with ourselves every day every minute you know it's positive and negative self-talk the way we speak is going to affect our emotions do you think that's similar to how and this is a thing that a lot of people in the eating disorder community say how they find it hurtful when people say oh, i've earned this bad meal i've had yeah. do you know what i mean like i've earned my dinner because they Definitely. feel like that's stigmatizing or that's triggering for them because they had this bad relationship with food where they were purging or they were not eating because they had that mindset of if i do this then i can earn that yeah same with exercise trying to burn off calories 
they're trying to punish themselves. Mm. Some people will go on for a heavy night out, next day go and do a workout to punish themselves for drinking. Whereas you're better off just taking a day off, having some water, hydrating yourself, and then training a day afterwards when you can actually train with good performance. I say, coming back to the whole talking to yourself as well, there's elements of, uh, I try and use the word could rather than should now as well. Mm. You heard me earlier in the podcast, I mentioned the word could. And a lot of people will say, I should, should have done that, I should do this. And that implies that you've, you're not doing something, you've sort of let yourself down. You know, whereas could is like opportunity. I could do that, so it would potentially improve my life and it's an opportunity for the future and I may look at doing that. But it's not a negative association like should, I believe. Uh, well, should mm. work. Language like is important like It's as so well. important, yeah. yeah. So just how you talk to yourself, exercise, you should be seen as positive in your life, not something to counteract maybe being more unhealthy elsewhere. I have so many people come to me in the gym and say, what's the best, best exercise to lose weight? Is this going to burn more fat than that one? Is, is swimming better than running? And I say to them, look, I, you need to train because you enjoy it. If you're training just to burn calories, you're not going to stick with it anyway. You're never going to keep doing this because it burns calories. At some point, you're going to stop. You need to find what you enjoy, do it because you enjoy it, and then eat healthily, hopefully, because you started to exercise. So we said a ripple effect. If you start training, okay, I'm feeling better. I feel healthier. I'm probably going to not have that food now. I'm going to choose something a bit better for me to complement my training. And then that's going to start to have a knock-on effect. And because you're exercising, we know if you exercise more, you can improve the quality of sleep. So you can actually have deeper sleep, more restorative sleep if you exercise, which is going to help to improve your mental health as well. Because there's so many studies now showing that if we have poor mental health, it can really affect us, especially like anxiety, depression. And so exercise has that knock-on effect into nutrition, into sleep as well. Mm. Um, so massively important um, one non-negotiable you have is taking 10,000 steps a day that might seem quite a lot to some people <laughs> can you just tell me why that's so important to you yeah so I can bring it back to the lockdown one we went to so many lockdowns mate I forget where we were <laughs> so lockdown one so in the first lockdown I remember I was really I was suffering with my mental health and I was probably in the worst place I had been or have been so far in my life and my steps were just really low I mean looking I was on like one two thousand steps a day maximum if that uh, and that was becoming a regular couldn't even train I was trying to exercise I was so anxious and we'll come onto phones in a minute but I, or later but I couldn't put my phone down I kept checking my phone picking it up putting it down picking it up trying to exercise going back to it I thought something's got to change here what, what can I do what is there that I can do I thought I can go for a walk you know let's start walking I started just going out for daily walks and trying to hit 10,000 a day I thought well 10,000 is that number everyone throws around 10,000 mm-hmm. steps I tell my clients 10,000 steps so why not do it myself and um take ownership of that so I started doing 10,000 a day we mentioned a ripple effect and it just had that massive knock-on effect so I started doing 10,000 steps I then started at the end of my walks listening to uh, mindfulness I did some breathing meditation from then I started to really go more into reading as well so I found myself I was more productive so I had that one goal each day one challenge if I hit 10,000 steps I'd achieved in my day and that's all I needed to do so it was because in lockdown I had no job uh, I did a bit of online Zoom PT, but no real purpose. I had a breakup, so I'd lost that massive purpose in my life. So I thought, I've got to have another purpose, and that became the steps. And yeah, it just had a massive ripple effect. And from then, just, I say snowballs, like just more and more healthy habits. And it really helped me come out of my lowest point, I'd say. And that's when I ended up doing the whole year, 10,000 steps. Uh, mm. Interesting, I've missed it since then, mainly because I didn't want it to become an obsession at the same time. So I think it is important, I can talk about that as well, saying that, even if you have these goals and it's like a non-negotiable, if you miss a day, it's not an issue. And actually, I missed a day on purpose 
to even say to my followers and my friends, look, you can miss a day and it doesn't actually matter because I will hit more days than not, a bit like the casting votes. And I don't want people to obsess about it. It can become an obsession hitting in every day. But it is still important. Walking, we know movement, so important for our mental health. That can really help you. Even it can release chemicals in your brain. So there's one called BDNF. So you might have been out for a walk. Many of us have gone for walks and you, you think of a, a really interesting thought or a great idea. And you're like, why did I think of it now when I was going for a walk or doing some exercise? When I couldn't think of it, I'm sitting down early in my chair trying to work, really stuck. You, you take a break, go for a walk, get outside, and you think of this. And it's because your brain is engaging. You're actually producing more chemicals, improving. Your brain can actually develop all the time. We think we're sort of, we get to like the age of 30, well, I'm 30 now and that's it, I'm done. Mm. But we, our brain is, is plastic. So we think of, it's called neuroplasticity. So you can actually develop and improve your brain long term. And that's why we can learn new skills. So it's important to keep learning uh, as well. As a final question, let's reflect a bit on your journey now. So what has this 10-year-plus journey taught you about yourself? And if there was one tip that you would give to the listeners to ensure their physical health and their mental health was completely in tandem, what would it be? So my biggest reflection over the last 10 years I mentioned this at the start, so I talked about how when I walked in into exercise and fitness, I thought I knew ev- knew everything. I thought I, I was sort of the bee's knees of, <laughs> sort of, uh, of PT, so to speak, and exercise. And then you come down from 10 years from there and you realise that you don't really know everything and you're still there to learn. And there's that quote sort of, do the best until you know better, and when you know better, do better. There's an MF Doom quote as well, and yeah. it's, the more you know, the more you know, you don't know shit. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very true. Very it? true. Yeah. It's, you think you know everything, don't you, when you yeah. first walk in? And I think people in exercise, they worry and they stress because I'm not getting it right or, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. But I'm in the fitness industry and I happily say now, I don't always know the answer. I don't always know the right way to train. If someone walked in, say you walked in today to do a workout with me, I wouldn't know the best way to train you because I don't know how your body works. So there's no shame in you not knowing as well because you're going to find out over time. The biggest thing is to find things you enjoy, first of all. If you, with exercise, if you don't enjoy it, you're not going to stick with it. So find something you enjoy, make that part of your life, and don't stress so much about losing a bit of body fat or you know, looking a certain way. We can become too obsessive about that. You need to be healthy for the right reasons, and I think that's the biggest sort of take-home. Find something you enjoy, do it to make you healthier. Prioritize sleep, you know, nutrition, and exercise. You know, Can you get those things right most of the time and if you can you're on for a better life and I was trying to say like if you you feel better in life if you move better in life you're going to get more out of life and I think that's so important as well so it's probably the biggest biggest thing don't stress just to relax yourself a little bit we've talked all about your fitness journey Mark I want to go a bit deeper now and talk about your own journey so I ask all my special guests this question first Tell me about early life in North East London, teenage years. And looking back, were there any early mental health experiences you can pinpoint? Who's the mark we meet okay. here? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting journey, as you, as you say. It's hard to pinpoint my mental health at that stage, probably because I didn't reflect on my mental health. Who did, really? Who, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah, at that age. Uh, probably more so now, I reckon it's talked about and you're getting a lot more children almost saying they have poor mental health. There can, be an over- there can be an over-pathologizing of that as yeah, well, which is a yeah. bit dangerous. But yeah, that's a conversation for another yeah, time, I think. Is. So looking back, I can pinpoint areas where I was bullied, so to speak, or, or traumatized. Do I 
know how I felt at that moment, apart from feeling sad or, you know, it's even hard to pinpoint exact words on how I felt. But I know when I was at school, I was bullied for my ears. Yeah, they're still big now, but they're not as big as, they, I mean, they're the same size. So I've grown <laughs> into my ears. Um, but I was called Dumbo. I had my ears measured in class with rulers. I had a, a bowl cut at the time. So a bowl head, bowl head was the word as well. So there's a couple of areas that I felt I was pinpointed for. So you had low-hanging fruit like me? Yeah, I would yeah. say so, yeah. yeah. I mean, a haircut, that's my parents' uh, decision. Well, I had the name. I could, <laughs> you, could, you could change your hair. I can't change my could name, have got a haircut. I mean, the ears I agree with. I mean, that's not... Uh, I was born into my ears. <laughs> but yeah, you get all those uh, those comments like, did you fly to school, that kind of thing. It's quite mm. funny now looking back on it. Good one. But at the time, when you're you know, 13, 14 years old and you're getting picked on when the teacher's walked out of the room from a lesson, not ideal. So the way you respond with that, I think I became a bit of a class clown at times. Um, so you try and own it then? Yeah, like yeah. you want to. So it's a survival tool. I think you have really? to, don't you? So you almost get. What school we went trouble. to, especially? Yeah. yeah. Like, I remember doing silly stuff like because my friends would egg me on, and I'd be like throwing rubbers across the room at people, or in music, I remember jumping on chairs. We set up chairs, and I'd run along and just jump over all the chairs. And then one time I did it, the teacher walked back in. And I'm like mid air, like get out, boy, get out. I was like, oh great, fantastic. So um, you start to do things, I think, to so you acting to up. cope. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like put, you say putting on a mask. Maybe because your confidence gets knocked, you're trying to find ways to become more confident at school. And how can I appeal to my friends? Well, I can be funny. I can I can make them laugh. You know, I can be the class clown. I didn't do it all the time. I managed to still get good grades at school, but there were definitely times where I was doing that. And I think that carried into university as well. I'll come on to that in a bit. But I think I definitely wanted to suppose, be liked, be funny, be the centre of attention at times. And that would almost give me a, a false sense of confidence. Okay. Say. And when it came to those acting out behaviours... A, did they work? And B, if there's any of your mates listening, I don't want to like bad mouth them, but do you look back and go, maybe you shouldn't have been egging me on or not? I think when you're in that age and you're in a really boring lesson, it's funny. So I probably probably would have done the same. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. You know, you're you're there looking at a a whiteboard and not really that engaged in a lesson. It's funny (laughs) if someone throws something at someone's head. Um, Maybe you're Mr. Brown's RE lessons. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't, you can never blame someone for egging me on. These, some of these are my great mates now. I still go on holiday with them. So, and I don't think I shouldn't have done it. I think I own own my stuff now. I own everything I do now. I I, I remember I was used to, I was in therapy about a year or so ago and I was almost saying how that used to be me. My therapist stopped me to say, like, why are you not owning who you were and who you are? This is still you. Mm. And I've realized that, yeah, that is me. And not, not it was me. It is part of my life. It's my journey. And well, what, so are you yeah. subconsciously, like, disassociating from it? Is I that why done, he challenged yeah. you? I've yeah. disassociated myself probably from anything I, I was trying to. From anything like 26 downwards, I've tried to disassociate myself in, in therapy. Pretty much saying that's not who I am now. Because I've changed. But then we all change in life. We're I think that's different. a bullying thing as well, mate. Because yeah. I, I try to do that. You know, I ran away from myself when I was being bullied because all the low hanging fruit. And mm. then when I came out of it, my mechanism and survival tool was never to be seen as a victim again. So yeah. you create the mask and you make sure that no one ever sees you or, you know, sniffs blood. That's what my therapist said to me, though. She, she said, you know, when you were getting bullied, the kids sniffed blood. It was like a subconscious thing where they almost knew they could do it. Whereas when you came out of that, you wanted to never let any kid sniff yeah. that again basically so you created those tools and you mastered definitely that. you're protecting yourself yeah that's what it is and that's that's not a surprise because we would do that in any any situation come out of a bad relationship you know you try and protect yourself again maybe you don't want to get into another relationship so you end up not committing it's almost a fear of commitment and mm. you see that with many people who they don't want to commit 
because they've come out of long-term relationships where mm. they've been hurt. Did you feel like you had a protector? Because that's how my therapist described it. I still have a protector now. The version of me that I think is over my shoulder saying, like, yeah. don't do that. Protect yourself by don't, not doing I that. Think or we all do have that, that don't yeah. we? I think yeah. everyone's going to have that to some, some extent. Maybe you're not conscious of it and you're doing things to protect yourself and you're not realising it until you reflect or until someone points it out to you. And that's probably when you notice it. The idea of having fresh eyes, when someone looks at it from a different perspective, you notice. And also, you can do it in your own life. You can do like the helicopter I read about. How you can almost come away from a situation to look down and to analyze what you're doing. And it's a great way. It gives you perspective on how you're living. And you can do it even in like a, an argument. So I try and do it. Like take yourself out so you don't you respond rather than you react. So I've tried to take that approach more so in my life now and try and look at the situation as a, as a whole picture rather than feeling like a victimized or feeling like someone's talking to you in a particular way everyone's got things going on in their lives you know you don't know who you're dealing with on a daily basis we're all humans on this earth you know we're all in the same situation so to speak we're all going to die at the end of it and i think when we realize that you have a bit more compassion and just because someone's talking to you or bullying you maybe they're having something at home maybe their parents are splitting up maybe someone's died in their family it could be anything it could just be the horrible, but I'm just being well, there probably was with yeah, us yeah. a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> but the point is that with, especially with social media now, there's a lot of online bullying, a lot of keyboard warriors. The best way to deal with that is almost to be to feel sorry for them and to be like, look, and detach from yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. You can't mm. take everything on board that is a direct attack at you because if you do, you're going to be in a very troubled place long term because you can find negative in every situation basically. You can mm. find, if you look for it, but you can also find positive in every situation. You can find good bits in every day. Mm. And it's, once again, it's uh, the important sort of viewer perspective that two people can experience the same event, but you can both have different views of it from your perspective and your mindset. And yeah. I think that's probably what I've learned. You said there about university. Yeah. And when you were at university, you tried to address this acting out sort of yeah, behavior, yeah, yeah. but you also said you put on a metaphorical suit. Can you explain what that was and why, in your words... It didn't quite work. Yeah, so I, I wasn't that confident. I might have looked it, but I wasn't deep down probably overly confident in terms of even socialising, meeting new people. I mean, most people when they go to university are going to be fairly... Uh, yeah, apprehensive, yeah, sure. And also yeah. you haven't got that much experience. You're like, we're so young. I'm 17, 18 years old, moving out from home. I've barely drunk at that point in my life. I haven't gone to many, because when I changed, I changed six from colleges. I left Steads, I went from there to Davenant. So when I went there, I didn't really go out on any of these sort of social events. I was by myself quite a lot of time. I found it quite challenging. Um, was that because of the school environment? Was it, was it very cliquey and stuff? Yeah, it's, they only took on like 30 people into their six form. Oh, did they? Yeah, oh, so okay. you'd walk in and, and everyone, everyone had, had their, their groups already. Yeah, you had to really break hard in. to yeah, break really into hard, a six yeah. or five year friendship. It's really difficult. So I found that very much of a challenge. I mean, I didn't really go out on many many social nights, so I didn't really drink. Probably that affected me meeting people as well. Looking back, having that experience of being a bit apprehensive in that environment, when you walk into university, although uni is completely different, everyone's new and no one knows anyone, so it's actually a great experience. If anyone's listening and wants to go to university, <laughs> I loved it. But when you walk into that, everything was very new. I, maybe I thought I had to put on a bit of a show. You um, could be a new person as well. That's why the great thing about yeah. you, because you can be a new person in many ways. You, you can, can have be, a reinvent start. yourself, yeah. can't yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. No one knows who I am. No one knows who Mark White is. Mm. I can become this, uh, this, this joker, this really outgoing person. I think I did that to an extent. I wouldn't say I was a completely different person. That was part of me. Uh, that was who I am. But then an exaggerated version. Best way to, to, to explain it, yeah. Can we talk about the bulk of your sort of mental health difficulties or experiences, I should say, 
because they come from your relationships, Mark. So we're going to dive into it a little bit here and go in depth because I don't have these conversations a lot with boys. I have maybe a few conversations with girls, but not with yeah. boys on the pods. Can you tell me first off how your confidence issues, which you've mentioned already, led to these difficulties in relationships yeah. and the couple of poor relationships, obviously, you know, confidentiality as well, <laughs> but how those relationships exacerbated it? Definitely. I mean, this is going to go probably quite deep, but it's, it's going to help other people out there, I would say, other men who have similar situations. So from an early age, I would say I was, I created like a stigma, a fear around physical in a relationship. So sex is probably one of those areas that people don't talk about much. It's very... Especially British people. I reckon it's more stigmatised than even like mental health. Mm. Like in terms of no one wants to talk about it. It's Gr- not grief and sex. Those are the two yeah, big it's, things. It's They're more stigmatised really. than mental health, aren't oh, they? It's, really? It's yeah. ridiculous. It's, it's a, yeah, it's a very strange topic when you mention it to many people. And I think I made it into a big thing because it wasn't mentioned. And it's something that, you know, you experience earlier or you most likely experience earlier than grief. Maybe you experience grief at early age. It depends on your, it depends depends, on your, yeah. depends on your chat, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> but it's definitely something that we're all likely to experience quite early on in our lives, okay? We weren't taught it at St. Ed's either, sex education. No, it's <laughs> the thing you don't need, it's barely mentioned, even if no. it is taught, it's taught in a very awkward way. I all mean. I got was a yeah. talk from Mr. Hyde saying, boys, <laughs> just want to break down this myth, Dr. Pepper does not destroy your sperm. <laughs> so he said, that's what he said in the assembly once. So, so it's all you learn, yeah? Yeah. That's uh, so the one, one take-home yeah. message in the I think I made it into a bigger issue though, in my head though. I think mm. I made it into this big thing. You don't know much about it, lack of experience. So when you go into your early relationships, if you meet someone who is not very supportive, which I did, it can come an issue. In my first couple of relationships, I was lacking in experience like we all would, but I also was stressing out about it. And any male listening to the show, sex and stress aren't a very good combination. Probably the worst combination. Not performance. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it's one of those things that guys will know all about, but it's something I made into a huge thing because I wasn't supported on that journey at the time. And those relationships didn't go so well, they ended anyway. When I came out, I was very scarred and I probably put uh, an attachment of they ended because sex was an issue. And that led me to almost like avoiding relationships after that for a while. Did you think that or did you know that? At the time? Yeah. I think I now know looking back. At the time, I think I just felt intimidated by getting into another relationship. So I probably didn't merge them. Mm. But I was still, I probably still was stressed out. I would, you would still be stressed out by it actually. I was still stressed by sex. And I would uh, almost avoid getting into relationships for a long period of time because I didn't want to get to a point of having sex, which is really funny looking back on it. Most guys are thinking, well, if you want to get the opposite, it's yeah, probably it's reverse. It, but I was almost like avoiding it. Did it become like fight or flight? Yeah. yeah. Like, so I've had terrible. experience of that. Yeah. And it's not good for your mental health. It became an area of, of something I needed to fix. But how do you fix it? Like really difficult. You can't really talk to your mates about it, can like, you? Really? Like, yeah. It's something that I didn't want to talk to anyone about therapy mm. at the time wasn't something i did or wasn't really pretty heavily mentioned back then as well this is we're talking 21 22 coming out of those bad relationships at the time so it's over 10 years ago now it's a lifetime ago for me looking back and uh, so sometimes it's hard to bring back the exact emotions at that mm. time but i know what it did to me long term and so for when i came from that i was avoiding relationships especially but i wanted to improve the physical aspects in a relationship i wanted to learn but looking back i could say i was lucky to meet these people but it scarred me in other ways but i ended up going out on two different relationships over the space of two to three years and people here will probably know friends of benefits as Mm. a a sort of term if you don't know what it is it's basically being in a relationship which is all about physical and very little about emotion no strings attached yeah so it's a no strings attached relationship 
And it sounds amazing to most guys. That's but that's big, also yeah. a stereotypical image of how a man views sex, isn't well, it? Well, obviously, yeah. biologically speaking, <laughs> stereotypically, obviously, if sex with benefits, girls have a different relationship with sex than boys do, or they mm. maybe become more emotionally invested. Stereotypically. But some boys, say, yeah, yeah, stereotypically. But a lot of boys, that's not the case. No. I'd say the girls I met, these two girls would be almost the opposite to what you would say stereotypically was. Mm. So they were also looking for a no-strings relationship. Yeah. And I found myself... At the time, it was what I needed. It gave me this confidence, which is what I was lacking. But at the same time, I found myself falling emotionally invested with these two girls over two different times. And when it didn't go anywhere, and it broke down eventually after a year or so, I think they were both about a year, I almost felt like, was I not good enough? You enjoyed the physical, but was I not enough as a person? Mm. Like, so I then found myself feeling unloved found myself wanting more affection wanting that closeness but i wasn't getting which you would in that situation is is only so much you can do of just having that physical aspect because after a while you're like why are we not going on holiday why are we not going on dates why is it mm. all just like secret is, yeah, that, is that how it very felt se- yeah very yeah. secret like you wouldn't meet like the parents or anything because it's not a it's not a relationship so to speak it's a almost like a fake relationship did that hurt you yeah, I would say it did at the time, massively. When I ended those two, or when we sort of moved, one girl actually moved away to another country, so it ended. But when it when it ended, I felt like I, felt like I was missing something. Mm. But what it also did, so you're missing that aspect of closeness, but it creates this... Was it a void? Yeah, but also it, it definitely creates a void that you're missing that. The void, actually, you're missing being told that you're good at something now. So I say so the you're, you're attractive, you're hot, yeah. you're sexy, whatever it is. You're getting that constant validation because it's all physical and that's what you're doing it for. You're going to get that constant approval straight away that that is great or whatever it might be. Mm. Okay, so when that goes, that was a big part of your life. You're like, I'm not getting it anymore. I'm not being told how hot I am or what, what mm. you know. And Also, did that, I mean, just as an aside, that must make bad sexual performance even more pressurized. You know, if you can't yeah. get it up, like that affects loads of boys. And I've certainly had really kind of negative experience with that, you know, building it up. If, I, if, yeah, it, yeah. if it happens, you know, am I a bad person? You know, blah, 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 blah. But because your relationship or, or however you want to call it was based on the physical, did that make it even worse? It did. It, I would say it did. Because when I went into relationships after that, so I would then start to look for actual relationships. I was like, this is not what I want. I need to get into an actual relationship. But then when you do that, I made, <laughs> I made sex the biggest part of a relationship. I thought that sex was the be all and end all because I'd had two relationships that were just sex. I then was thinking that if that I'm was not, the norm, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly, it's the norm. I felt that that's all people did in relationships had sex, like we didn't do anything else. So I'm there thinking, like, when we're we gonna have sex? Like, when's when's that gonna happen? Like, because if we don't have sex, we're not in a relationship, we're not together. Because mm. I made it about that. Mm. That's all it was about. And you're right, it makes it into a performance thing. You want to be amazing because if you're not, the person's not going to stay with you because that's all you offer. So I'm like, all I offer is sex. All I offer is physicality. Mm. All I offer is looking good. I'm going to train harder. I'm going to get bigger. I'm going to get more ripped than I was before because I want to look even better because that's all the girls care about. They, know, they think I look good. There's a certain amount of that yeah. which is a positive. You want to look good for your partner, but that became toxic. Yeah, but basically. that's becoming like yeah, a toxic yeah, yeah, relationship, yeah, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. You're like, all you are is a physical specimen and that's what you're training for. You're training to look good and you want to have confidence when it comes to physical. And yeah, you get, you do, of course, you're going to get an aspect of that. It's like doing a two-year training camp. You're going to get much better mm. and much more confident, but there's still an underlying pressure and stress around it for a while because you make it into such a big thing. I think that's something that I then carried into my relationship moving forward. And so I was constantly seeking validation, 
constantly wanted this love affection because i'd missed that previously but i was also constantly seeking the validation that i was looking good you know, sex was good you know i was attracted to them mm. uh, was that almost the worst thing that could have happened because it reinforced your worldview or continued <laughs> the cycle i think it was a cycle that just carried on and i couldn't break it well, i couldn't get out of it because if i let's say i broke the cycle myself i'd have to step away from being in a relationship once you step away from that cycle, you've not got the validation and I've not got the approval and the love and the affection that I'm so desiring because I don't feel happy by myself. Because when I was by myself, I was really unconfident. Now I've had all this time with females. I now feel confident, but have I got the confidence about them? Mm. And at that time, I didn't. So it was a crutch? Yeah. I just it, And I don't know how, or I didn't know how to escape it. What was the most difficult moment for you here? In that whole situation? I think the way it affected me in terms of the anxiety away from being with that person. So when you're with someone and you're getting that constant validation, you can get reflection. You can see how they look at you. You can see how they are with you. The moment you walk out that door or they walk out that door, you're by yourself. And I started to have this very negative association with my phone, constantly seeking approval by text messages, trying to get what I was missing because they weren't with me anymore in that person. I just got way too anxious. I couldn't be off my phone. I didn't like going underground because I lose signal. Mm. I know you can get Wi-Fi now, but at the time, I don't think I realized that. (laughs) (laughs) Most stations have Wi-Fi, but I missed missed that opportunity. So (laughs) so I'm going underground, stressing, thinking, when am I going to get to Stratford? I want to get my signal back. And even Stratford has got poor signal, so that wasn't great. I had to wait till later, Stone. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) So I'm waiting to get out, to get signal, to almost receive text messages or send a text and... It was really a very unhealthy relationship. Or waking up in the morning, checking my phone. The moment I wake up, I've got a text, I've got a text. She didn't text me last night. Have I got a text this morning? What was she doing? Why you preempted Love Island. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Missed the trick. Yeah, should have trademarked oh, it. Yeah, should have yeah. done. Trademark so, your own mental health. <laughs> <laughs> Sell it onto them. Amazing. But yeah, I think that's the biggest issue I, I had from it all. So anxious. And looking back, I'm now in a position where I'm completely single. I'm not anxious. I enjoy my time. I'm very happy on my own. And it's amazing to look back and think. It's actually hard to be, really think how bad it was. Because mm. when you're in it, yeah, when you're in it, yeah. it's terrible. We don't realize how bad it is to step away. But now I know, because I actually had, I had some nights where I didn't go to sleep. I've had, yeah. That's insomnia, exactly, mate. I, I know, but because yeah. of anxiety. The reason I w- wasn't sleeping is because I've sent a text and she's not replied. And I'm thinking, well, maybe she's going to check in a minute. Check, oh, check well, you're looking at the last scene at one exactly. WhatsApp. Oh, mate, I used to or, do that. Awful. Or like, they have been on, but they haven't seen your text. Why did I say, why not? Yeah. Why not replying? They've been online. You're constantly checking the last scene. You're checking if they're ready. You're presuming their behaviours and stuff as well. Yeah. You're, you're second guessing it, third guessing Definitely. it, fourth guessing it. Yeah. Or yeah. you might say something like, I "Love you, babe," or something. Give them a kiss or whatever. Heart. They reply, but without a heart. Why is there no heart? Like, yeah. they don't like me, or is it over? There's so no then, tone there. There's no feedback. Yeah. yeah. I'm looking for. Every situation, almost the negative in the situation at that time. So I'm thinking, well, you're missing something. You haven't responded. Why are you taking so long? And then if that happened, I'm the kind... Well, I was at the time. I was like texting straight away. Like, why haven't you applied? Are we, are we okay? Are we, are we still mm. together? In the space of eight hours, like I would almost create a breakup in my mind that we'd broken up. Mm. That's how I was. Um, and if people don't realize that that's a trauma or an issue, then they'll, get, they'll be like, why is he being clingy? Yeah. Or they'll get freaked out. When yeah. actually you're freaking out about the fact that there's not a freak out. It's weird. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I wouldn't do it now. And it's something that's obviously changed. This is still a good six, seven years ago when these, these things were happening. And it's amazing looking back 
and seeing the traits I was displaying that I now know a lot about, you know, like I was very anxious attachment style, mm. didn't know what that was at the time. And I didn't realize I felt like I had to be loved. I felt like I had to be in a relationship. I had to have that gratification and, and then approval. And it's amazing to, to look back now and with fresh eyes and almost a new perspective on life and almost think, why didn't I get help or... Mm. But you, you don't at the time because you don't realize it. You don't think you need it. You think all you need is the love of that person and that will make you feel better, which it mm. does. You get a text and you go from being like... <laughs> Zero to 100. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I'm back, I'm back. Yeah. No, of course I love you. I was asleep. Oh, amazing. No, I thought we'd broken up. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's such a... It's such a hot and cold you know you, you're, you're you're so quick to respond and, and change based on someone else's view of you did so you feel like you were changing for other people i felt like i only got happiness in life from the interactions i had with with women at the time yeah mm. are you proud of how far you've come yeah i would say so i'm de- definitely proud i don't think it's something you can just switch either like, mm. it's such a journey the man i've done in that time I've, I've been i've had therapy with three different therapists all have given me different views and allowed me to reflect really well. And I think each one has been great in its own right. But you can't just do therapy and improve, I would say. You need to spend time on your own. Doing, you know, I journal a lot now. So journaling was a massive part for me. Reading a lot about mental health. So a lot of books like self-help books. So just learning about different views on life. And like, for example, like The Chimp Paradox, great book on learning about your brain and how we respond to situations. So the little things I've read that have really helped me podcasts and you know, i want to mentor a podcast now listening to pods great way to hear about other people hear about little tips they do and i can i've always taken things on board so i can be very happy with the way i've dealt in the last sort of six years or so but it's only upon sort of reflecting now that you realize how much you've done once i was proud i would say that i think more i was more proud of what i did then than i am now if it makes sense mm. i'm happy for my past self for deciding to put those steps in place do you um, feel like you've healed with your past self now yeah i'm at one with my past self whatever i did then has led me to become the person i am today i don't regret anything i used to regret everything i used to oh, what a waste of time that, that relationship what a waste of my time two years down the drain that's mm. how i used to think mm. now i'm like you know what it's fantastic it, it, it let me learn i learned so much about myself I learned things that I can take into my next phase of my life, into other relationships. And I think that's such a great way to look. You want to look at every experience as a chance to learn and grow. There's no such thing as a negative experience, I, I believe. And yeah, you can have some terrible things happening in your life. Like you can have a death in a family, a terrible experience. And I'm not saying I wish it on anyone, but you still, a year later, two years later, you would have learned something from that experience. And it's life. And then things happen. We can't change what happens, but we can change what we do and how we respond to situations. Just quickly going back to what you said about the physical side and that element of maybe obsession with physical appearance. Do you think, and I don't want to just lambast every show who I mention here, but do you think shows like Love Island, for example, or X on the Beach, who are largely populated by geezers with eight-pack spare (laughs) spare abs in a lot of cases. And then those, I guess, cosmetic relationships that they build and then just quickly end as soon as they get out of the the vast majority end straight after they get out of the villa. Do you think that's that's harming young boys when it comes to what they think about relationships and what they need to do to get them? Definitely. I mean, I think we talked about social media earlier and how you can look online and see the top 1% of the world out there in one go and the way uh, the algorithm even works it will just be your whole feed will just be well, you top. see one thing and it will send yeah, everything exactly. based so off that yeah you're constantly seeing these attractive bodies 
out on magazines, on social media, on TV shows. And you're seeing that like this attractive body attracts an attractive female, so to speak, in that way. The way people view attraction is different for everyone, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they're creating this this normal most. It's a psyche yeah. kind of thing, yeah. I think it will, will affect a lot of people. You're going to find a lot of guys thinking, I've got to hit the gym to, to find a woman. I'm going to have to be strong. I have to... They normally find other way. men, by the way. <laughs> they <laughs> no, don't normally yeah, yeah. find the women, they find other men. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'll find that, yeah. yeah. You're going to get a lot more confidence than guys. In you're looking good, bro. Yeah, you've been training arms, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's what you don't, that's what, kids, that's what they don't tell you. Yeah, yeah. I've been at so many times. Yeah. Honestly, I've been hit on more times by men than females in the, <laughs> in the gym. Happens, like, even like saunas. Sauna chat is, is rife. Just trying to relax. Not even, not even <laughs> just getting hit on. Just like, just, just boys coming up to you, just being like, "Yeah, yeah looking good, bro. Yeah, like, yeah. What are you lifting?" That's da, the worst da, da, da. thing. You're in yeah. a sauna and you're swimming shorts. Telling someone, someone's telling you you're looking good. Like this is a very, uh, I'm very vulnerable right now. It's <laughs> <laughs> a situation I don't really want to put myself into. So yeah, you get that a lot. But I think you're right. We're really allowing the younger generations, or even people my age, still to watch the shows and think I need to look a certain way. Otherwise, I'll never be with someone mm. that attractive. It's girls as well, mind. by the way. You know, we're not oh, we're course, not dispute yeah. we're not we're not dismissing beauty yeah. standards for girls, which are horrendously bad right now, and all the stuff about having to have the Kim K body. No, we're not dismissing yeah. that. We're just talking about the men angle right yeah. now. So please don't cancel us. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. I think with men though, I feel like it's been the female body was there way before in terms of talked about looking a certain way. I feel like we're not catching up, but it's getting to a point where it's very similar now. You know, men mental health with with the way they look is probably more than people realise. It's being spoke about a lot more now, but it's um, it affects probably more people than we realise out there. Can we talk about? You mentioned it a little bit before, but just breaking that loop and breaking that cycle. Yeah. Because your last relationship lasted for three years and it ended in twenty twenty, right at the start of the first lockdown. Yeah, yeah. So, can you tell me about when you started that new relationship in therapy? Which is a brave move, by the way. So kudos to that. And then. After you discussed it with your therapist, you had a little bit of an epiphany, didn't you? Just tell me about that. Oh, yeah. So when my past relationship uh, broke down, for me, I'd become very attached in that relationship without really realizing it. So we did everything together. We trained together. We we saw each other every day. It's just spent so much time together that when that person walks out of your life, you almost lose your complete purpose. It's gone. Um, See it with a lot of relationships, don't you? Yeah. A lot of relationships. It's not a healthy way to live a relationship, I would say, and I would never do that again. I'd rather spend more time by myself, got my friends, travel alone still. But when you lose that, it's so difficult to then know where you're at, especially it happened in lockdown, so I had no job. So I've lost my purpose anyway. I'm not working. You know, might have heard the sentence like, busyness is an anaesthetic. So if we are constantly busy, we don't reflect on how we feel. So the fact it happened in lockdown for me is probably, looking back, was challenging, really challenging, and that's why I felt so depressed at the time mm. but it allowed me to spend time working on myself so it was good time. timing and bad timing yeah, at the same I time say, <laughs> this is why i think i've said before lockdown saved me and it's because it's the gift of time i had so much time i'm usually so busy i'm there at work 50 hours a week that like you're coming home you're getting home at you know, probably one, not probably one of the reasons why my relationship wasn't going so well or i was actually chucking myself into work to almost avoid having confrontation or, or talking about our feelings with each other but you can chuck yourself into work. You can be there for, for hours on end and then not have to think about anything else. So, yeah, having that time to reflect, you know, thinking about my mental health and then obviously starting therapy uh, was a great way to sort of break the cycle. And dating wasn't that easy in lockdown as well. I mean, it so, wasn't. 
wasn't, it, <laughs> it just wasn't. It wasn't happening, <laughs> yeah. was it? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, unless you were certain people. <laughs> were you breaking the rules? That probably helped me because normally I'd chuck myself back in straight away. Like, right, let's get back on the platform. Let's get back on online dating. Let's meet someone else. And I sort of didn't really want to do that or I couldn't do that. So I think it helped me as well. Can you tell me about the other therapy session you had, which was a bit more oh, yeah. forthright? <laughs> that is an understatement. Can you yeah. just tell me about that? How you reacted to what your therapist said then? How are you reflecting on it now? Yes, this was about 2017. I was in a session and I think it was the last session, actually. I think, I think I said I was going to finish. or maybe, maybe I just finished afterwards. <laughs> but he said to me, we're about halfway through, and he said to me, I'll never find love until I love myself. And I remember I was I was quite reactive at the time, and I, I stood up. I said, like, I think I said to him, like, "Fuck off," like very sternly, and decided to walk out the door. And he's panicked a little bit because he probably doesn't get that response <laughs> that many times in therapy. He's like, "No, sit down, sit down." So I end up sitting down and finishing the session, and um, I walk out still fuming, boiling up inside. We actually had the previous session talking about anger, so it, we, I was working through anger anyway. He knew mm. I had a reactive trait, so but it wasn't a huge surprise when I did respond, but. I used to feel like I was a volcano, so I would bubble. I'd feel myself in a confrontation. I'd start bubbling, and I'd start to really start to feel myself getting ready to explode. And then when I did, it would come out, and I would be very aggressive and very responsive. And that's how I used to be in terms of my reactions. But then fast forward you know, to three, four years later, I remember looking back in therapy thinking, actually, he was right at the time, because I was using people to feel loved and I didn't love myself I didn't enjoy spending time on my own I didn't enjoy being by myself and I felt that I had to find someone to be happy I had to be with someone to be okay with my life almost like I wanted to get married I wanted to have children it was almost like that was many people might probably feel this way and they might think once I've got a house I'll be happy once I'm married I'll be happy it's a tick box yeah it's like you're constantly looking for the next thing to be happy and I've said this is not my quote once again but it's uh, everyone looks at the pursuit of happiness whereas happiness is in the pursuit so actually once you start to enjoy your life and actually live day to day and be happy in what you do you're no longer chasing stuff you're not chasing success or chasing happiness it doesn't mean you can't have goals and aspirations we can still look to get somewhere in life but also be happy with who we are today in this moment and I think that's something I've learned and looking back he was completely right but obviously at the time I didn't feel he was (laughs) Mm. Just going back to the stigma, if we can, before we reflect on your journey, Mark, you said that when you went through one of those breakups, you didn't want to disclose it to people yeah, because you were clinging on to hope that you'd get back together. Definitely. How did that affect your mental health in the relationship itself and your relationship to other people? Well, when you're clinging on and you're, you don't want to disclose, obviously you're going to... Disclose repetition. Yeah, I say it all the time. Don't it. tell people you've got a job interview. Tell yeah, them when you've got a job. Definitely. <laughs> but you're, like, you're not going to say it because you are clinging on. It's, like, it's the stages of grief. When you break up with someone, there's a lot of denial. You know, there's bargaining. You know, well, you're not going to get to that final stage for a period of time. For me anyway, I didn't find myself accepting it and actually moving on for, for a while. So you're constantly thinking, okay, maybe it's time apart. Maybe she'll come back to me when she misses me. Maybe we just need a bit of time to talk this through and we're, we're going to get back together. You're not going to really disclose it to, or I didn't want to disclose it because I thought, well, actually, there's no point if we get back together. It's almost like bad mouth my relationship or people are going to look like it's a failure when actually then we get back together. So I think that's how I looked at it and that's why I didn't mention it for a long time. I did talk to two mates though, to be fair. One's a good re- one. One that I say his name's Jack, so a close mate of mine, you know. Him, and I spoke to him in the park in lockdown. You couldn't really meet anyone else. Me and him would meet up, have a little kick about, 
and I talked a lot about uh, my relationship and my mental health, how, how I was at the time. How did he and react? No, nah, he was great, really supportive. Yeah. But we had talked for like an hour, two hours uh, in depth. I bet he was exhausted after that. Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> Even you banging on. I had to pay some money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> easy, 50 pound, mate. Thanks. <laughs> so <laughs> it was what I needed, though. It showed me the importance of sharing. I had to talk about it with someone who knows you. It made me feel like if there anything happens next week, I could just talk to him because he knew the... Uh, it's fine that person yeah, is just yeah. as important as well because exactly. you talk to the wrong people. And I'm not. And when I say wrong, I don't mean they're bad people. But if you speak to someone who isn't as emotionally intelligent or doesn't understand yeah. the mindset and you just get banal platitudes, you just won't have that conversation with them again, unfortunately. Definitely. Yeah, you need to find that right person. But at the same time, I wouldn't be scared to ask someone just because you think they might be the wrong person. So it's worth it. Even if you don't get a response, I always say that if no one responds and you don't get any support from someone, even sharing is important. People like to be listened to, and I find it's not in my in my job. Even just being an open open ear, and even if I don't offer solutions, people don't want solutions sometimes. People like to vent. They just want to tell you their problems, and that's all they care. That's all they want from you. Oh, like, it's brilliant. I've, I've vented. I feel great now. I don't need any responses or any off, like, solutions from you. I can just get on with my life. And I think that's how a lot of us deal with our parents anyway. Now, if you, I vent to my parents a lot. I mm. don't really need their offer of support necessarily. It's me just venting, knowing that they're there for me is all I need. And uh, so it's so good to just to, to do that if you can. It makes you feel like you've got someone there. And it also, it's very similar to journaling and writing things down. It gets it off your, off your mind. When there's so much on your mind, it can become a, a jungle and just, you know, or like just loads of weeds in your mind. So you just need to clear the garden, clear it out, and, and you'll be in a better place. Mm. Before we reflect, actually, there's one thing I've just that's just come into my head. Are you working on a book of some kind? What is the th- what is what you were working on when we spoke off air? No, so, or do you want to write a book? No, so during yeah, I'm in a process of producing a book. So it, during lockdown, I started writing little quotes down and sharing them on social media. From reading and from listening to pods, I'd be more creative. So I always say like creativity leads to creativity. The more you spend time actually writing things down almost like it gets rid of the thoughts in your brain and then allows you to have more t- more space to uh, to create again. So I was writing things down, sharing them on social media with uh, like paragraphs underneath my thoughts, mainly really around mental health. And I'm now going to create sort of 52 quotes. And the idea is like positivity all year round, 52 positive messages to uplift you each and every week. And that's the idea behind the book. So it's like a picture book, <laughs> so to speak. And you open it, you have a nice quote in sort of a nice graphic form underneath some text and the idea is it was to share my mental health journey really it was to share what I went through and what I used to inspire me throughout the year I still going to publish it the idea is to set it but then to uh, give all the profits to uh, charity for mental health mm-hmm. so that was the idea behind it almost like a gift from uh, my journey so yeah I was uh, I'm still in the process got a few more to write through and then I need to sort of fine-tune it but mm. yeah it's um yeah, sounds book. good man but still a published author <laughs> <laughs> let's reflect on your journey now so what have these experiences taught you about yourself? And if you could go back and talk to that 23-year-old Mark who was always seeking validation maybe or the 15-year-old Mark who was struggling with his confidence or the 18-year-old Mark who was struggling with his confidence but not letting people know he was struggling <laughs> with his confidence, what would you say to him knowing what you do now? It's easy with hindsight to look back and say like, don't worry or, or just relax because things will work their way out in the, in the long term. And probably a sentence you hear said quite a lot from older people, just enjoy life, let the ride happen. And you can say, I could say that as well. I could say the same thing back. But at the same time, I don't think you ever want to go back and necessarily try and change what happened. What happened 
happened for a reason. And these were stages of my life. They were meant to be at that moment in time, the way they were. And I, I think we can always look back at elements of our lives and think, I don't know why that happened or why I was like that at the time. You were like that because that's how you were. If something people with someone and say you are spending time with someone and they respond in a certain way, I've heard a great sentence saying that you would do exactly the same way or you respond exactly the same way if you were in their situation because you haven't lived their life. If you were in their life and had lived the last 20 years, 30 years, you'd probably respond in the same way because you have all these maybe insecurities, built up frustrations, experiences that you haven't experienced. So yeah, I think that's the most important thing. On reflection, I would never change anything about what I've done and I would take ownership and own what I did and be happy that I did it because it's led to who I am today and what I do for the next six years will lead to who I am in six years' time. And I'm sure I'll reflect and say, I'm pleased I did it the way I did it. So yeah, that's probably my best response to that. We have come to the final topic conversation on your podcast, Mark. And it's one I try and have with every special guest, which is a general natter and chat about mental health. So firstly, how is your mental health at the moment, mate? I would say it's good on reflection of where I've been over the last sort of uh, even three, four years. And even, I say, from last year when I had my breakup, when I was at my lowest point, it was 18 months ago now, where I was feeling extremely low. Where my therapist actually said I was depressed. From the scores she read out in terms of when I first started to when I finished. So I would say, on reflection, I'm in a great place. I still try and do certain aspects in my life and uh, undertake things like journaling, breathing, that help me massively. So I know that when I'm doing that, I'm in a much better place mental health-wise. Mm. And I can recognize that. So... I would say I'm in a great place now and I feel I feel great, I feel good. But I know that I can have a superior mark, if that makes sense. I can take myself to another level from spending time undertaking. I say journey for me is a really big one. Reading, I find reading really helpful. Uh, very relaxing, allows me to switch off. Trying to detach myself more from work. So to detach myself from stressful experiences and, and environments. Discovered you can create your own environment and create a positive environment. And that's what I'm trying to do more from uh, as well, trying to create something that's a successful environment for my mental health. What age were you when you became self-aware of your mental health and you realised that the feelings you were having weren't physical and they were actually in your mind and a product of your mental health? Yeah, that's a big question. So <laughs> it's hard to pinpoint exactly when that was, I would say. So no eureka moment? No, I don't think there was a there was Or a light moment. bulb moment. No, yeah. as I say, I think it's just been talked a lot more about recently mental health in the last sort of even five, six five, years. Five, six years, yeah. yeah. It's, it's been mention a lot more i don't think i even would have got into therapy had it not been spoken about yeah i don't think i really knew much about therapy at the time and what it could do i think looking back it was in my head it's for people that you know had schizophrenia or or mental health issues it's very severe yeah that i thought was severe i didn't think psychotherapy was for the average joe blogs so you didn't think that everyone had mental health yeah yeah Yeah, exactly that's the thing i don't (laughs) think i realized it i didn't think that it was such a big issue Uh, until you have anxiety or you have stress yourself we have so many different emotions on a daily basis we're going to have emotions come and go anyway and i think i just thought that was part of the process like you didn't have to work through them or have to or not not have to you could work through them and it's so important to realize that there are ways to improve it's like doing an mot on your car Mm. like it's like a it's a way to to check yourself and to improve yourself and then to keep moving forward in, in in the right direction can you tell me or remember the first conversation you had with someone about your mental health? So who was it with? What impact did it have? And at the time, did it feel like a big moment or a big burden or weight had been lifted off your shoulders? 
Or did it feel actually like something quite insignificant, quite normal to do and normalised? I think the first conversation really was in therapy. I don't think I spoke about it before I went to therapy. So my first session would have probably been around about 2016, 2017. So fairly um, late. Relatively yeah, not life, very early yeah. in, my, in, my, yeah. in my life, really. And I'd been definitely in need of therapy for a year or so before that, but I hadn't gone to it. I probably had spoken with my girlfriend at the time about my mental health state. And she definitely pushed me into therapy at the time. Uh, well, I said, I think you, you benefit from it, for sure. Um, but that's a question in itself, by the way, because people say, oh, just go to therapy, when actually yeah. might not always be the <laughs> option. Might be the it's option true. for some people, but not for all. It's definitely a pricey appointment. I don't think everyone can afford therapy. Or everyone needs therapy. Or, yeah. So some, um, some people might be helped by other things. Definitely. Yeah. I, I think you can give therapy to yourself. Uh, I would say a lot of people actually train as a form of therapy. Like they exercise, which is great. I just think you should have other areas as well because what happens if you get injured? What happens if you can't train? Then all your life pretty much That's how apart. professional sportsmen yeah, fall apart, don't they? really yeah. bad, isn't it? So as great as exercise is as a form of therapy, I just think we should always explore other areas uh, in our lives. So, but I reckon it was when I had that first session and I felt weird walking. I remember walking in, almost feeling a little bit ashamed. I shouldn't mm. have done, not shouldn't have done, but at the time I didn't know much about therapy. So you're walking in, like, it's quite a nervous experience if you've ever been to therapy and uh, if it's your first session, you're walking into it. It was a building I walked mm. into. Did you think it was like the stereotypical U-line kind of horizontal yeah, sort of sofa yeah, yeah, in a chair? Yeah, yeah. Bed, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. But it was, a, it was a room, there was a sofa, a box of tissues next to the sofa. I'm thinking, yeah. no, uh, <laughs> I hope I don't cry. I remember I did cry actually in a session, definitely. It just all came out. I remember in that session just... It's a, it's a, it's the, the first conversation is yeah. the biggest one, isn't it? Massive, really, the most yeah. emotional, yeah. Definitely, there's so much to unpack. And there's someone there just looking mm. at you, just waiting for you. Mm. Sort of it's like a Mentos in a Coke bottle, <laughs> I say. <laughs> it's a really, yeah. it's a really yeah. interesting experience. Yeah. Um, and it's just so much opportunity to talk because they don't really say much. Well, my first therapy didn't, didn't say too much. It was cognitive behavioural therapy. Yeah, it's just a great chance to, to open up and to, to talk about my thoughts and feelings. What triggers do you have that affect your mental health? Could be a sound, could be a sensation, could be a social environment, or have you not figured all of them out yet? Triggers-wise, I would say I'm at my, I think worse is the wrong word to use, but I struggle more when I'm really pressured. So when I have a lot of pressure. Rushed. I hate being rushed. Oh my God. If I have to be somewhere and I'm in a rush, it's the worst feeling ever. (laughs) You know, when you've got like just too much on your plate and you're trying Mm. to juggle so many different aspects in your life, I don't prioritize my mental health when I'm really busy. Um, and that I'm sure I could because there's always time in every day I can get up a little bit early and journal for five minutes I was doing that during lockdown a lot and it's uh, something that when I do I feel a lot better I just make a little more time I say it's easier to add on than it is to do something at the end of your day if you're trying trying to prioritise your health I would try and get up an extra five minutes earlier than do it before bed because when I come back I'm like I should put on Netflix I'll just relax I'll make some food and just chill on my sofa whereas if I get up with an idea of maybe doing some reading before I go to work or just five minutes of journey or five minutes of breathing meditation or some stretching, whatever it might be, without my phone, which is key, by the way. Mm. <laughs> and that's another thing, phones. For I was going to say, what's your relationship with that, your phone yeah, like now? Yeah, that's a big thing. So if I'm obsessed with my phone, definitely affects me in a, in, a, in a negative way. Say I'm on Instagram too much, spend too much time scrolling. It's just mindless scrolling on any app. You just flick in between that and Facebook and then if you get bored, you go on the weather app. Mm. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. When, you, when you start using that too much, you realise you've got an issue. Constantly checking BBC Sport or anything like that. If I detach myself, so I try and do time without it, I don't have my room. I always leave it out of my room. So I don't have it as an alarm clock, which is fantastic. So that was the best thing I did in terms of my phone to create a detachment from my phone. Bought a sunset alarm clock, 
leave it outside the room and then go to bed and wake up and go to sleep without my phone. So you don't have that constant picking up your phone, checking in the morning. I've heard a great like analogy of like picking up your phone is like having people walk into your room in the morning, like 10, 15 people and start talking to you. Like I would hate that. Like, would you imagine this? Mm. Just leave me alone. But you're doing that to yourself. You might be getting emails down. You're looking at all the news. You're looking at everything, all your messages. And it's just too much information at that time of day. That's my best advice for that. Leave it to the side. Start your day without going on email. Start your day without going on the phone if you can. If you can, just do it for even half an hour, an hour. Amazing. You'll get so much more benefit from that. And that's when I find I'm at my best. And it also can be when I'm at my worst as mm. well, when I'm on it too much. You've talked already about tools and methods, so we won't go into that. But how do you support friends in your own life with their mental health if they're going through a poor period or if they have mental health issues or conditions? So you spoke about Jack helping you. How do you help your mates? So in terms of trying to be a positive advocate of mental health, uh, I've always been open about how I am. I do think that helps anyway. Just if you know that someone's gone through something, and is actually really positive and supportive, they're going to be more open to come to you anyway. So I've always made a point on social media, I will constantly talk about it. I will always mention ways to help your mental health. If I know, I say it's hard to know, but I do reach out to people if they've been a little bit absent for a while or not coming to stuff, just check in, just see how they are, drop a message, uh, even give them a call. But, you know, sometimes you don't always get the responses you're looking for. If you just say, how are you doing? You might not get a great response. So, so do you use the ask twice rule? Yeah, that. Yeah. And also I try and just get them to, just, just get them engaging first in conversation. Mm. So ask them a question, nothing about their mental health. Just ask them something they're interested in. If I know they love running, how's your running going, mate? And just get them back engaged. If someone is there struggling with mental health, they're unlikely to respond by saying, how are you feeling? Tell me more. And it's like, I don't really want to. Like, leave me alone. Because I know how it is to be in that position you do need a way in, I feel, into conversation. And sometimes that might be asking them of their interest or how's your training going? If you know what their passion is, you know, what you're reading at the moment, because maybe they like reading. So I think you need to... Um, is that a trust element as well? In terms of what them... Getting them to open up. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. They should trust you anyway because if they're your friend. But having been through that situation, sometimes you don't want to open up to anyone. You don't want to talk to your parents. You don't want to talk to your closest mates. It's not like you're scared of almost it being passed around. It's more that you don't want anyone to know what you're going through because you'll be okay. You're going to help yourself. And that, maybe that's a male stigma anyway. Maybe we like to think that we can always help ourselves. We don't like to ask for help. We don't like to ask for directions even. <laughs> and we want to just solve things ourselves. We've all seen the McCoy's yeah. adverts. <laughs> we just want to solve our own issues. And whether that is a, a negative stigma for us as, as men, and hopefully we can break that, but it probably doesn't help when it comes to sharing mental health. I talk on the podcast, Mark, and you've probably listened to a few, so you know what question's coming up now about two ideas, toxic masculinity, positive masculinity. Now, in my opinion, and sometimes I get pelters for this, Hmm. I think that toxic masculinity is sometimes overused in media conversations, but it does exist. But I also think that hopefully in a few more years, toxic masculinity can be a very small minority and positive masculinity will just be masculinity, if that makes sense. So what would you define as both of those terms, first of all, in your experience? There's um, no so right or wrong answer, by yeah. the way, to this. That's Some good, people said toxic masculinity doesn't even exist. Some I people think, said it exists yeah. everywhere. <laughs> I think with like the uh, toxic masculinity, it's, with, it's almost like a cultural pressure to be a certain way. When you grow up, you know, it's almost uh, you suppress your emotions. Don't cry about things. It's bad to cry. In my industry, I think toxic masculinity plays its role massively in how we profile women as well. I see this on a daily basis. Women walk into gyms, guys, well, she's decent, or would you? Would you sleep with her? It's such a shocking questions to ask someone like you're with someone and they might say to you would you it's like well 
you're now really profiling women in a very physical way and it's something that is i think it's done a lot and we don't always realize it and you know you go out with go out with guy mates what often the topic of conversation football or sport and women quite often is the case i think that's probably where i would take toxic masculinity in terms of negative profile of women trying to be macho trying to be the man trying to take ownership and trying to almost solve everything like we can solve every issue that's a man uh, thing though, isn't it? we all think thing, that though, we really? can like, solve everything yeah i think that's uh I've, I've been like that so many times in relationships you know you get you get your girlfriend uh telling you something you're like right we can solve this <laughs> <laughs> so i just want you to listen to me just listen to my problems and don't try and solve everything I'm sorry guys i'm good at solving isn't i that's my that's my strength <laughs> so yeah that's pretty how i view it. and then positive you know just supporting one another use your strengths to support other people you know we can grow people and we can build them up i think in this day and age we think that if someone else is happy we can't be happy it's a funny thing it's like there's enough happiness to go around you haven't got to put someone down to be happy yourself if you only are happy with what you do you're missing out on so much happiness in the world it's like the the joy of other success if you actually are being pleased for someone else's happiness we gain so much more in our lives um so i think so that's becoming harder and harder for some people to have in this world i think yeah, it is yeah massive massively though yeah. i think i just think that it's like going for a job if they get a job you don't get a job that's not how life works in terms of happiness they're happy you're not happy it's we can all be happy i think that's important build others up for the right reasons use your strengths to help others maybe where they're lacking if someone's not great at something you make them better by sharing them sharing your thoughts and ideas it's not going to belittle you as a person it's not going to make them now superior to you i think we're scared to help others because then we're increasing competition mm. you know then we can't we can't get what we want in the world mm. so it's like we put others down to build ourselves up and i think that's a massive issue with, with mm. probably not just men but like i'm talking from a male perspective and i feel that's what i see a lot of in this world i've got one final question mark it's a big one and broad one as well no right or wrong answer <laughs> What more do you think we have to do to ensure men from all backgrounds, all walks of life, social class, whatever, feel comfortable and safe in opening up about their mental health issues or just their general mental health if they want to do it? Yeah, it all comes down from talking, I believe, and making it the norm. It's improved a lot for the last few years. You know, even five, we mentioned five, six years ago, really wasn't talked about. Therapy wasn't really an option. Well, it still won't be an option, but it wasn't even spoken about. People didn't know much about it. So it's getting it out of there in all walks of life. I think sport's doing well. Sport is really sort of publicising mental health, which is great because it's a big platform. We can all play a role in our own friendship circles. You know, if everyone out there started being more open and and asking how people were, and even just saying, like, how's your mental health these days? How, how's it going? What do you feel you need to work on? It's just not really talked that much about um, even as a basic question yeah, I remember speaking yeah. to one of my mates Pat who came on the pod ages ago and he said the first time I was asked that like how was your mental health just a casual question it kind of shocked me yeah he was just like well how do I answer that like he was just in shock I think it does surprise people I've had that question of how are you doing to people and people will say not too bad I'm not too bad thanks I try and change I'm like I'm great thanks like, how are you doing it was that surprises people they're like oh, don't know how to respond you've just said you're great you're not, you're not too bad where's the not too bad coming I'm used to that sentence um, or what you're saying not much yeah I make a point that only because like, not too bad still means you're bad in some respect but I'm just not too bad mm-hmm. so I was like well I'm actually I'm not bad at all I'm, I'm actually in a good place so and it's how I talk to myself so I try and be more positive but we can mention it more so when I get people joining the gym I'm you know, what's your goals what do you want to achieve what you know oh weight loss i want to i want to do more exercise never never like what's your mental health what do you want to improve mentally we do try and do that more now we try and delve deeper when we talk to people when i talk to clients like what's your goal okay why do you want to achieve that what, what's it going to do for you physically mentally what's, what's that going to improve 
we just try and get it more into daily life and into my work and I think we can all find aspects of uh, using that even in meetings every meeting uh, in every workplace we can mention that how's everyone doing I do it at my one-to-ones how's your, how's your mental state how are you doing mentally there's no reason why we can't add these things in and make it the norm I think it's going to really help to really take the stigma away but also allow people to talk you need to have a platform without a platform you're not going to be able to talk very easily it's hard to open up about mental health when no one asks you about your mental health Mark Wyatt Cheers for coming on Just Checking <laughs> the Podcast. That, yeah. Nice one. Well, I think that's all we've got time for on this episode of the Just Checking In Podcast. Thank you to Mark for being my special guest and for talking about all the stigmas and mental health experiences in relationships men very often don't talk about. I'll drop Mark's social media handle in the show notes too if you want to find out more about his journey. Thank you to all the vendors who've tuned in. I will sign us off by saying if you like what you heard, Give it a share on social media, tell your friends, tell your work colleagues, tell your family about it, spread the good news and the work we're doing here about Vent. If you want to support us further, drop us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or if you want to go even further, you can support our Patreon. That's www.patreon.com slash venthelpuk, all one word. Or if you don't want to do that, you can make a one-off donation by visiting our GoFundMe and that's in our link tree and it's on all our channels. We hope to check in with you again very soon. And remember guys, it's always okay to vent.